What's up, Energy Fam? This is Justin, and welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. My goal with each episode is to deconstruct the minds of today's energy thought leaders to uncover their framework and tools used in their journeys of providing energy to the world. So sit back, relax, and remember that everything you see around you requires some form of energy. All right, let's go ahead and kick this thing off. Hey, everyone, welcome back. I'm here in Zoomland with a fellow Canadian, Paul Ritchie, COO of Austerity. Paul, welcome to the show, man. How's, uh, let me ask you this. What are you most excited about today? You know what I'm most excited about, actually, is leaving Monday for West Texas. Oh, uh, Warm up a little bit, uh, participate in the West Texas Soil and Gas Show down there. Um, yes. And getting out in the field and seeing people and, and working with clients and meeting new people. That's, That's what we're getting up for. You know what? That's uh, I was going to say you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself, Paul. It's uh, <laughs> West Texas is not as, as pretty as you made it out to be, but... Hey, that's where hey i said the, people i didn't say land yeah <laughs> i know i know no you know what it's it's interesting you say that uh when we talk about west texas you know permian basin midland especially nobody ever goes there moves there because of of you know it's not like moving to miami you know what i mean it's but the like you said the land but the people there there's something about it is um people kick and scream to move there but then they kick and scream having to leave um yeah. you know we we've had to move people out there in my space uh, time and time again. And some have somewhat volunteered because they like sort of that small town feel, but some are just absolutely despise of it. But then when they're there for, you know, a few months to a year, it's like, Hey, this, it is such a strong knit community. And, the, and it's just the people um, out in West Texas that makes it such a unique place, not only for oil and gas, but just for energy as a whole. Um, it, it's a, uh, it's one of the most fascinating places in the world, but not much has changed. I don't know how long you've been going to West Texas, but it's no. it looks very much the same as it did 10 years ago. Yeah, same, same view flying in, same, same <laughs> view driving down 20. Not yeah. much changed, but you know, yeah. it is. You know what I look at it when you look at a lot of these places, you know, no different than in Canada in Fort McMurray. These are real honest people. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, bend over backwards, help you when you need it. Um got no problem sharing what they're doing with your company or, you know, it, 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 it's truly a community and, and you lose that in the bigger centers. Right. Um, and it is, I, I enjoy a couple trips out there a year and, and lots of fun, lots of great people and Canadian to Canadian, lots of Canadians down there too. Hey, so. we've got a pretty strong presence there in West Texas and even Texas in itself. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, but to your point too, even you know, I, I think when we look at it from a business perspective, Midland is in the Permian Basin, especially has some very, very deep roots, families, generations of people who have poured their blood, sweat, and tears into drilling wells and, and delivering energy to the world. Um, it's not easy to break, it's not an easy market to break into. And so I, I applaud you for, for going down and, and, and meeting with the people. Um, I'm sure there's some similarities, obviously that, you know, our North stars quite aligned, you know, especially if you're tied to oil and gas, but, um, to get down there and, and even get into doors oftentimes it's, it's tough. I know a ton of companies that have, you know, hired people and say, Oh, go visit Midland every two weeks and see if you can drum up business. It ain't going to happen. You know, no. if you're, if you're not there. Uh, and aren't committed to being there on boots on the ground, you know, like pretty full time, it's pretty tough. So, uh, you know, I, but again, but again, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but 
Um, and then don't worry, folks, this is not a, an episode just talking about Midland, but uh, it's a big part of where we spend a lot of time. Um, but where are you tuning in from today? I, I can guess, but I, I'm curious. Well, um, Calgary, Calgary, Alberta is actually where our home base is. And, and we've got an office in Houston as well. Right on. Well, I, I mean, I could have easily guessed it with the Calgary Flames picture in the back. Who you got there on the wall, Paul? Uh, Brian McGratton. Yeah. So for those who don't know, who is that? So Brian McGratton was a very significant tough guy in the NHL that uh, spent a lot of time in, in Calgary. So yeah, he was, uh, he's, this is, that's his famous pose after a, a great tilt where he saluted the crowud after his victory. So <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's, that's great. Do you, uh, do, do you get on, I mean, are you much of a hockey player yourself? Do you get on the ice at all? I, I played a little, I don't play anymore. Unfortunately, when I was playing senior men's hockey, I got in a bad rollover accident with a few other guys. Oh no. I haven't played since then, but uh, um, I get a lot. I coached, I coached my son for probably 10, 12 years. Oh, um, nice. A lot of that, but uh, you know, just, just love the game. It's, it's not about a favorite team. It's about the game. It's yeah. It's amazing. I, I it, like it. it is. It's even here. So I grew up, so I, you know, born in Calgary, raised uh, in, in Vernon, BC, which I'm sure you're, you know where that's at. Yep. Um, but uh, I never grew up playing hockey. I, I played, you know, basketball and football and baseball. And then I grew up and then, you know, in the mountains, snowboarding, skiing and all that yep. good stuff. Uh, but I, I say all that to say, I, I, you know, I'd skated and stuff and played, you know, street hockey and stuff with all the buddies but I never actually played ice hockey until I moved to Houston. <laughs> so hey, we started, yeah, we started a hack and whack league. We called it and it started in Denver and, uh, and then some guys moved down to Houston and started it here. And it still goes on a guy in my office here at AES is Nate, Eric, he, he kept it going strong. And so there's a bunch of Canadian fellas that get on the ice and, you know, of course have some cold ones at the end and, and have yeah. some good times and good chats in the locker. But, uh, it, it was cool, man. I, I enjoyed it. And then I, I real I quickly realized that here in Houston, there's a much, much more ROI in golfing on a Friday than there is playing hockey on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, there's not too many drilling engineers buying uh, drilling fluids on Fridays at the rink. So, right. uh, but on the golf course is a bit of a different story, but I digress yeah. anyway. So, uh, you know, again, being from Calgary, you, you probably know a lot of the same folks I do, I, you know, it's where I started my career, but um Again, how I'm just curious, like how how is the how is the Alberta sort of let's call it an oil and gas scene? I mean, is there light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, I, I left to, uh, Calgary in 2010, so it's been a while since I've been there. But can you paint a picture on the landscape of how things are going up there right now? No, there's been a fair bit of consolidation. There's been some some big players move out. Um, overall, the it, it's it's if if, if our federal government didn't get in the way um, as they do. Um, I think you'd see a lot more investment. Um, mm. What are we number three now? I think in reserves in the world, three or four in yeah. the Canada, which you know ninety percent of that is northern Alberta and and British Columbia. Um, I think what's what's really driving the whole energy market is the money being put into other things by the big companies in the hydrogen hub in you know carbon carbon capture and and we're, they're working together you know the synovuses the suncores arc resources they're coming together to make it a very attractive place to bring some some big investment um right. you know we're 
11 and a half months from Trans Mountain Pipeline being done, um, the twinning of that, which will be great for our LNG world. Yes. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big part of the industry here um, and getting it on ships. And, you know, it's, it's funny. You talk to people and you say, we literally have a landlocked natural resource base in Alberta. Um, mm. Much like Canada, there's or much like the U.S., different states don't let different things happen. It's the same here. I mean, we've got BC to the west. Um, yeah. We're just as close to Alaska, but we can't get through, you know, the territories to get to Alaska with a pipeline. So we're really reliant on that west coast sort of out to Prince Rupert uh, yeah. pipeline. But you know, there's a there, there's a ton of optimism. I can tell you. Um, you know, and, and it could be the, the COVID shutdown talking, but, you know, during COVID, I could get drive to my office in about 12 minutes. Um, yeah, you can't do that anymore. Okay. I mean, it is downtown, you you know, the plus 15s, they are jammed again. I mean, it's, oh, nice. it, is, it is very active um, and there's great synergies between the tech industry, which the city is pushing like mad. Um, and the energy industry from an investment perspective um, and also from, hey, I'm supporting local. I'm going to support these guys and, and use their their software, their heart, whatever their technology is. Yeah. Um, and there's a great partnership um, growing in the province that way from the education institutions, the energy companies and the technology based companies really coming together. Wow. And it, it opens you to the world, right? That yes. a little more. Wow. Yeah. I, I love the optimism around that, Paul. It's it's exciting to to hear that because for so long, uh, you know, for I say for so long, for for a good, you know, call it shoot, since I don't know, the last, you know, call it five, ten years or so, it's it's been a gradual sort of just struggle, right? Um, again, there's those political hurdles that we're trying to overcome, um, which I don't think will, will ever, you know, completely go away. But, you know, I think what we've done always in oil and gas, especially, is we've always found a way to overcome the adversity. Um, fortunately, the world consumes a ton of it. So we have to find a way to deliver. Um, yeah. But but to your point, you know, they're, you're, you're kind of landlocked, like you said. And, and fortunately, with the push and, and just, I guess, overall transition into, uh, well, the way the natural gas market has globalized due to LNG, which you guys sit on a lot of gas as we do as well. Um, I think that presents a ton of opportunity. You know, it's, now if you kind of have to separate the oil and the gas side, but at the end of the day, it all somewhat ties together and we still have to drill for it and, and produce and, and all the rest of it. But yeah. on the tech side, especially, I have a, a good friend of mine. I don't know if you know the name, Chad Hayden with Gal Galatea. I know Chad very well, actually. Oh, you do? His oh. lead board member was our CEO, actually. Rob Logan oh. and I joined Osperity at the same time when, when we went to commercialization. So no I know Chad kidding. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, uh, so Chad and I went to state together and uh, him okay. and I started at CES together. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been a really close friend of mine for years and just watching him, you know, cause he was, was always very forward thinking and he was like, man, mm -hmm. this, this tech stuff, this tech stuff. And this was shoot. Even when we were at CES back in 2008, nine, he was talking about, you know, he was just big into tech. And at the time it was sort of, you know, it wasn't quite as nearly as, as, you know, as popular and, and, and commercialized as it is now as adopting technology, but right. uh, he's gotten out there and, and hearing him talk about it is, is very similar to yourself. Paul is, is there's so much 
I guess just optimism and, and future and opportunity around stuff like you guys and, and, and what they're doing. And so uh, it's good because it's kind of, you know, relit the fire for folks within Canada. Um, and, and again, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, what it is you guys are doing and you actually uh, a big shout out to OGGN. You guys, um, or you were on the digital doers podcast not long ago, and you gave a really good overview of Asperity's offerings and, and the value add, um, so for the folks out there, what I'll do is I'll put the link in the show notes and um, you go go there, check it out. We can talk about what, what Osprey is doing, but um, you kind of dove into it and dissected it quite well. And so, uh, but you know, for our for the purpose of today's episode, it's going to be important for context. Um, can you give us a little bit of a, sort of the elevator pitch on Osprey? You know, what do you do, and and why are you different? Yeah, what floor are we going to? The third floor or the 50th floor? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, 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 I get it. It's good. Yeah, you know, first of all, I want to differentiate. We're, we're not a hardware company. We're a software company. Gotcha. Um, we're in that computer vision um, management by exception space. What our sensors a video camera. Um, like all the other sensors out there, um, we're using a camera. And, and where we come in is is... There's a ton of different things. So if you think of any sort of remote distributed asset uh, in the industrial space, we've always had people there. We've always had people going there or coming back or something happens and they hop in their truck and run out there. What we're doing is we're actually proactively through video and imagery sending back and saying, hey, operator, X is happening right now. This is a picture of it. Do you want to watch it live? Um, And and delivering that so if it's going to an OCC it's they're saying okay well we better watch the video yeah we got to shut it down whereas you know and that's like I said it could be detecting that you know there's five contractors out there and they don't have hard hats on or they're not wearing reflective clothing or it could be that um you know somebody just broke in at three in the morning and they're cutting a cable tray and those are live wires yeah. Um, you know, and things around equipment, um, you know, thermal monitoring, things like that, where we're really trying to take that windshield time away from the mm. operators. That yeah. that it's reduction, huge. it's huge. And that reduction in windshield time lowers insurance costs, reduces your, your carbon footprint, extends the life of a vehicle, more importantly, makes the operator safer, right? Yep. Um, we can talk about two places that we both know well, and that's West Texas and Northern Alberta. The most dangerous thing you're doing is not standing on a drilling rig. It's driving your truck to a site. Uh, the number gun. of fatalities are, are, are way too many. Um, and we do this through computer vision. Gotcha. You know? No, that's, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it, it's, it's interesting. And, and, and I've mentioned this before is. Five years ago, the reception was cold. Today, the reception is extremely warm. And I'll okay. tell you, and this is another thing about the industry. I'm seeing it a little bit in the US, but very much in Canada. The operators are getting younger and they yes. want to operate their sites on an iPad. Yeah. No, and that's I, one thing that our technology gives them, right? Well, and I love that that you have that clarity in that because that's something I've been you know, pitching down here. I, you know, I, I started when I was 18 on a drilling rig and, and yes, I can, I, I remember some of the most, I guess, 
times where I felt like my life was at risk was, you know, after working 12 hours driving home and I wasn't about to stop on the side of the road and take a nap. I wanted to get home. You know what I mean? Right. And and so again, to, to, to your point, it's, uh, it's, it's eliminating that drive time. And it, that's one component of it, right? Like HS and E is, is, is something that we in our industry and in many industries, all industries take very seriously. And I think, you know, that's something that our industry has taken more serious as time has gone on. But when you talk about the younger generation coming up, um, remembering and and even whether it's technology or whether you're selling chemicals or whether you're selling dumb iron, um, the way people are doing their job and, and operating and how they're basically purchasing is a lot different. It, it very much is, you know, technology based. It's folks are familiar with the Amazon to go on the, you know, order something online. And so as, as the folks who are graduating college, and coming into the industry as the next leaders, they're looking for tools and ways that they're familiar with. And it's not all paperwork and driving out six hours to, you know, go check out a wellhead or check on something. So, so again, I think that is just going to continuously become more and more attractive. The other side of that too, kind of to add to that is, is our industry. When I say our industry, I'm I'm talking oil and gas, the headcount is 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 continuously dropping there's less and less people looking to get into the industry and i say that from my observation and experience over 10 plus years um the reality is we're going to have to offer the people who are still employed here tools and opportunities to do more with the hours that they have because i you know i i I talked to a kid yesterday who's getting his graduate degree in petroleum engineering at school of mines down in denver Mm -hmm. and every petroleum engineering uh uh, program in the US has had a mass decline in enrollments. And normally it trends well with oil price, right? When oil price is up, all of a sudden you'll get a huge influx of kids wanting to get in oil and gas, make all the money. Um, that's just not the case. It's actually, you know, it's it's continuously gone down even since the last, you know, this little cycle that we went through when everything was going nuts. So I say all that to say a lot of this stuff is, is at, for a while was kind of a luxury item that, oh, that would be cool. But, you know, we're not going to pay for it. But now it's like, you better get ahead of the curve because if not, you, you, your business might be, you know, you, you may be hinged or, or you, you may be at a bit of a uh, inhibit or being highly inhibited to, to continue growing your business because you just don't have the people and, and the tools to be able to conduct more business. And so at the end of the day, it's, we need to do more with less essentially is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and, one thing we aren't is we're, we we are not arrogant enough to say we are the end all and be all of automating your operations. And we've made our platform the has the ability to interconnect with everything else. Why would you have a management by exception tool open? Right? Sure. We have developers start at the company and they're like, wow, you guys don't get much traffic on your website. It's like on your platform website. It's like, no, because we don't need it. You know, a lot of times we're sending these alerts to their SCADA system or process control system, um, and they see the alert and they act, or they come into our platform to watch it live, or they come in to do an inspection or something like that. It's not every time we send an alert does it comes to us. We're sending it where, right? Um, And that's important too, because these operators, I, I don't know if you remember five years ago, it was, I don't want any more edge devices out in the field. 
I've got six edge devices. Don't give me one more. Can't you guys just make one? Well, no. But the cloud enables us to put a smaller edge device out there and communicate with your other systems, right? And that that's a big one. And and that debate was so funny mm. over the years about we we want the technology, but we don't want anything else out there. Well, we have <laughs> technology somewhere, right? We have to transmit it. We have yeah. to analyze it. Um, but you, you don't see the consolidation. But what you see is now the interconnectivity of different systems and platforms where yeah. we can pull data. So we can we can take the data from a sensor, a physical sensor in the field, and actually have that now trigger our system to actually do a video and send it to the client or do just photographs and send it to the client for things that you visually can't determine. Like, is that water or is that a hydrocarbon leak? Well, the sensor is saying it's a hydrocarbon leak because it's got the internal pieces to do that. So we're going to send you a video. So yeah. your, your, your SCADA platform or your alarming platform saying this is going on. Now we're showing you what's going on a few minutes later. Gotcha. So, so could, could you somehow, I mean, could you kind of make the parallels? You, you guys are the ring of, of industrial, like the ring, you know, how you put on your doorbell and you can, you know, on my phone right now, I can see who's at my no, front door. I mean, similar ish. Yeah, I don't want, I, I, I don't want to use that example because going back to street hockey, you know, <laughs> ours goes off all the time just because of the neighbor's kids. <laughs> you know, it's like all day. We, I think I had it on my phone for like one day and it was yeah. like, this is gone. Actually, yeah. I would say we're the opposite of that. And I only say okay. that because we cut that noise out. So uh, you only want to know when a tanker enters your battery. You don't care what else goes in there. We're only going to tell you when it's a tanker. That's right? a great point. I, I know. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I, 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 yeah, I wish I was ring and sold to Amazon for that amount, but we aren't. <laughs> But not yet, not the, yet. Yeah, not yet. But we're we're sort of the opposite. We're the industrial equivalent. But as a human, you want to know every time somebody comes to your door. In industry, you only want to know the bad guys and the good guys. The rest mm -hmm. is fluff, right? And that's what we enable. And we actually enable the client to, to change it as they see fit on the platform. Like, oh, you know what? We don't get many of these. We don't get many of those. Um, but it's 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 really putting the technology in the hands of the client to determine what they want, right? Yeah. And we found that out over COVID. COVID was the biggest validation. It was a terrible thing, yeah. but it was the biggest validation for any sort of video. Look at Zoom. Look at look at Teams. Were yeah. we doing this five times a day before COVID? No. Video became such a big part. And we saw our, our user base go through the roof within companies and the, the senior seniority level go way higher. Mm. Then we also saw them add more, right? And then it's like, well, can you guys do this with it? Can you guys do that with it? And then it leads into those other things like that aren't using computer vision, like, you know, sensor triggered alarms, things that we couldn't alarm on before. It led to inspections so now instead of operators driving out and we'll say this you're in nice warm texas but it does get 40 below and the oil patch up here celsius which i yeah. guess he comes out the same in fahrenheit at that point um <laughs> these guys aren't getting out of their trucks to do their inspections they're zooming around in their truck oh and yeah going to the truck, right 
Um, so we're sort of redefining what a visual inspection is. Before it was with your eyes and you tick the box. And now right. it's stay in your warm shop or warm office. How about we send you the inspection and it's actually a visual inspection. So, mm -hmm. you know, we do for one client over 10,000 images a day. We inspect wow. 200, around 200 assets of theirs. Um, and they've cut 1.6 hours per operator out of their day driving. Mm. Which is interesting because I noticed on your website uh, and for the folks out there, I encourage you to go on there. You have, it's a, like almost like a carbon, it's like a little tool. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a calculator that you can calculate savings, um, how many trips saved and then how much that equates into fuel and, and CO2, I believe it is. Um, yeah. But again, a handy dandy little tool that, you know, if you want to go on, you can, you can right away see uh, you, you can quantify the value in something like that, which is huge, right? That's, you know, and a lot of it's, you know, folks can quickly do back the envelope math too, but it is, uh, and yours is a little more sophisticated than that, but it's, uh, it just gives you an idea of, of, of it, it's not this, whereas technology I found, you know, for us down here in the U.S., technology and digitalization and all that really started to take off in this out of the 2014-16 downturn. I think people were really hungry to adopt technology, um, but it was very hard to explain and sell and 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 communicate the the value. But now I think it's there, and and mainly because I think a lot of the, I think that's a generational shift, like you alluded to earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it's quite easy to see. I'm I'm curious, um, and I, and and actually, if this kind of leads me into my next question. So recently. I noticed on LinkedIn, uh, I think I think Osperity had made a post. Um, a good buddy of mine, Jeremy Funk, owns Funk Futures, and uh, you guys are partnering up, which I thought was super cool. And that's actually why I reached out because you know anyone that uh, is working with him, I always you know find interesting and uh, wanted to to reach out. But but with that being said, I'm curious, um, you know, if you could kind of share what you're doing with them and and you know kind of what made you get to a point of saying okay, because I think it was to help penetrate the market down here in the u.s um and, and give you that sort of increase the opportunities there so I'm, I'm curious as to you know how you got hooked up with them and, and kind of why you decided to to do that yeah so you know we took the so i've known jeremy for five years we were actually uh both at a, a at the same thing last week in houston and we were trying to somebody said how long where'd you guys meet and it was we couldn't pin it but we know it's five years so <laughs> yeah. it's at a conference, at a pub, it was somewhere. Anyways, we met yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, for us, we took the traditional route. We're a Canadian company. Hey, we're going to open an office in Houston. Hey, that's excellent. Now we got to put people in it. And at one point, we had four people in Houston. And it was um, very expensive. Uh, as, a, as a technology that's just entering a market, and that is certainly one penetration strategy, um, but you're bringing in, you know, two sales guys and a and a, a an operations guy in to a market with a brand new product or a fairly new product to that market, and that's a tough go. Yeah. But you know, when you look at and and when you look at it, so COVID hit, we didn't have anybody there um, anymore. Our CEO still sits in Houston, Scott Christ. And um, we, uh, you know, COVID ended and during COVID, Jeremy and I talked quite a fair bit. And I said, you know, and he's like, oh, you're never going to do it. And I said, you know what, let's find the right time. And <laughs> for us, it's the right decision to have that educated, respected, fractional 
sales team and business development team down there. Um, we have partners, commercial partners in the U.S. as well. And you know what? Go out and find the business that's going to benefit both of us. Let us be the subject matter expert. Let us work with the client. And that's really why we did it. As everybody knows, we have free, which doesn't mean good healthcare in Canada. Um, but, you know, our extended benefits were about 120th for the whole company of what two people in the U.S. is just for benefits. For uh -huh. a start, that's, that's a pretty significant number when you look at it. Um, the world travels, airfare's not that crazy. Um, and and that's that was a decision we made going into 2023 was let's get there. I mean, no kidding aside, we have good market penetration in the US. 40% of our revenue comes out of the US. Wow. Um, uh, you know, our second largest client is in the US. So we don't have, you know, a small footprint, but we need a broader footprint, right? Mm -hmm. And Jeremy and his team are really the, those ones that can introduce us and, and spread the word of what we do and bring us in to do it. And, and it works. We never, yeah. we never picked up the phone, whoever was selling for us in the U.S. and called California. Why? I'm in Texas. Why do I have to call California? Where, where, where? Will I likely be spending a fair bit of time over the next few months? Bakersfield, California. Like, you know, there's such a need for this. And and I didn't realize this until now. Well, we all know Texas and California don't get along, but um, you know, but the 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 California is really out there on an island in their energy world, mm -hmm. you know, the oil and gas world, and and working with these different uh producers down there. It's like, geez, we never thought it would have thought to look to Canada for a technology like this. Right. And yeah, because you got Silicon Valley right there. <laughs> well, that there's that, but it's I never I never saw the industry segmented in the US like that. And there is a yeah. hard line between now. This is a total outsider saying this. I've been sure. going to Texas for 20 years. Um, very little business in, in the energy field in California. But it was, wow, who are you dealing with? Oh, you're dealing with them? Well, if you're dealing with them, then yeah, we should talk, right? And it's, it, to your point, it's almost like they're trying to invent things themselves when it's yeah. already available because they're not running out to, to Houston to all these shows and conferences. Um, and it, it's it's really cool. And they have some very unique challenges there that that our technology can solve, that Chad's technology can solve, that you know, other companies can, but spreading the word that they're open for business and they're really open is, is exciting. And we wouldn't have those opportunities if it wasn't, wasn't for, you know, that fractional sales side of things from funk. So. Yeah, no, that, it's a really interesting point. And, and, you know, cause as you were explaining that again, I've been to several conferences, you know, at the major cities here, you know, that, you know, you got the Houston, you got, Midland, Denver, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, yep. Pittsburgh, we all kind of play in the same sandbox. And a lot of the people you see at one, you see the other, but I don't think I've ever ran into, you know, someone. And again, the, like, yep. again, California has, has a large footprint uh, for energy and, and oil and gas. 
you know, they're in Bakersfield and surrounding area. I don't think anyone comes out here and, and, and kind of networks and, and does things. I'm sure there is Mike Umbro is one of them. I don't know if you're familiar with that is. Um, yeah. 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 He, he, good buddy. Uh, you know, he, he comes over here and, and he, when he came in last week or not last week, sorry, I think it was a few weeks back, we had dinner with a couple guys and, um, you know, he's really trying to, to make a push, but it's cool to see guys like him, but there's very few and far between. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, you know, why wouldn't they come to Houston to leverage technology and things we're doing here? Either a, it's, it's like, they want to do it all themselves or, Hey, it's folks like yourself that are coming in saying, Hey, look at us. Like we can help solve some of your problems. Uh, which again, I think is amazing. And to your point, you know, leveraging funk futures and, and, and companies like that to get into these markets is uh, it, it's, it's needed. It's, it's, and, and it's, it's helpful. Um, what would you say? I'm, I'm curious for you, you know, playing on both sides of the border, obviously what's the biggest sort of difference you would say when approaching so, an operator or a company in Canada on your technology versus someone down here? I mean, is there a common theme or a trend that you noticed? Um, that's either a pain or something that's beneficial to you guys? You know, I don't know that if you asked me this question five years ago, it'd be a totally different answer. But, um, yeah. you know, I think technologies, um, obviously the industry, 100% going that way. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think the there's no, I don't know that there's a whole bunch of difference. And one thing I will say is, U.S. companies generally adopt and scale a little faster than the Canadian companies do. Um, okay. I, I can't pinpoint the reason, um, but I think it's just the scale of those companies is generally larger as well. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, both sides of the border have companies that... Um, think they can reinvent the wheel that you've already made round. Uh, <laughs> and um, it, it's a shame because there's so many great technologies out there that they just try to copy and and proceed with. Um, I believe there's actually a fairly significant lawsuit was just launched about 10 days ago in the US by, by one tech company against a producer that said, yeah. hey, you know, you used our product for a year and now you're built the exact same thing yourself and canceled us. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, there, there's, there's some of that. Um, and that's inherent. I mean, don't think that, you know, Rivian and hasn't stolen some of Tesla's ideas, right? Like <laughs> it, it happens. Yeah. But the difference, you know, I think the people in the industry are awesome. I'll, I'll say that. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. Um, I think it's just that there, there's, Maybe the companies are bigger in the U.S. and they have a larger adoption team into technology, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So I think gone are these big innovation groups, and more of them are adoption. You know, instead of saying, "Hey, can you do this?" It's now we have this problem. Can you solve it? And those are coming straight from the field, whether yeah. it's the drilling side or the operations side, all three areas. You know, upstream, midstream, downstream. Um, but not a whole bunch of of difference other than I would say adoption and scale is a little faster. Sure. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just a fair, fair observation. I want to pivot and, and talk a little bit about AI. Uh, you know, AI has been a huge topic this year, um, especially with the scale delivery of tools like ChatGPT, um, which I'm, you know, suspect you're familiar with. 
but I, but I would imagine you guys have been playing with AI well before ChatGPT, and so I'm curious how how does AI play play into what you guys do? Can you give a because an overview on that? I'm always curious. Yeah so, yeah, so computer vision is really the visual AI side of things. So okay. you know when we when we want to find an anomaly, we have to build a model, build the algorithm, build the model, and then train the model, and Basically, from our perspective, we can get it to, you know, a very good high percentage rating with about 2,500 raw true images. And then an image you can flip eight ways, right? It's got four sides and a front and a back. That's eight. Okay. And then you're training it. You want to train it on different environments. So we have the advantage of having stuff from the Eagleford to the Northwest Territories of Canada. So we have covered every sort of topography and geography and weather patterns that there are um, in North America, at least, um, as well as a client in Australia that provides us the outback coverage and then mm. retrain those models and they just get smarter and smarter. Um, and then what we have is one, we don't own any of the imagery that we collect for the clients. They do, but we ask them permission can we use this to cross train our algorithms? Okay. Yeah. So um, a, believe it or not, most tan most tankers in Canada are tandem and most in the US aren't. Um, and totally different scene in Australia where they've got the land trains, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to train, these are all tankers guys. These are all, you know, Mr. Computer, these are all tankers. And we continuously train about once a quarter across the whole fleet of algorithms with the different tagged images oh. <laughs> that have been validated. So you get a good, strong impression in every environment because they've been trained on multiple environments. So, you know, that's that. <clears throat> Some of the little bit of the AI with the thermal cameras is more of mathematical algorithms um, where you're finding out means and mediums of a flare or yeah. direction of a flare, height of a flare, right? But you're using thermal cameras. There's not a whole bunch of computer vision, if any, applied to that. That's just zeros and ones, as I like to call them. And and but it's it's training them specific to that flare, right? Where mm -hmm. where the way a flare works in Wyoming or is regulated to work is way different than it is in Colorado, right? right? Okay. From the smoke, from a direction, from a height, and from a length of time perspective. So gotcha. there's there's a lot of differences. So you know, our AI, um, are we are we reinventing any wheels? We're not. Um, are we training and focused on industrial use computer vision or algorithms? Absolutely. And one of the reasons we can do that is we've got 500 million industrial images available to us at any given time. Wow. Um, to be able to train new algorithms right 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 interesting so yeah i'm thinking here i mean as much as the surface operation stuff is, is interesting as a drilling guy i'm always waiting for someone to develop a high quality downhole camera and imagery that can be used while drilling has this ever been a conversation or is that even like on your radar i don't know if the market's big enough to even worry about it i mean any thoughts or things around that it's not on our radar. Um, mm. I've had lots of, I've had discussions with PD, I've had discussions with Enzyme, 
you know, can you do this? We can shoot a camera down hole, but from the top of the mast. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. obviously camera is an electronic piece that isn't tiny. Um, I think you'll find because there's more and more boring technologies that are using uh, video. Um, okay. not, not in our not in our wheelhouse, but I think sure. you will see it um, sooner mm. than later. And again, in a company that's generalized that, you know, boring a, a utilities, utilities underground is really no different than drilling a hole straight down or yeah. horizontal drilling. Um, is this maybe a little smaller hole than drilling for utility pipes, right? Yeah. Um, and there's, I believe, I believe when I was at the utility show um, a couple of years back, um, there is technologies that are starting to come out that are on the, you know, the cap of that drill. So yeah. run into a couple problems. You got to keep it clean. So there's an issue. Run, yeah. run. Generally got to keep it dry. And then in those cases, it's usually got to be class one, div two or class one, div one, right? Mm. So you add a lot of expense and a lot of um, interesting things that have to happen because um, we know how much mud and fluid comes out of a, when you're drilling a well, um, yeah. it's hard to keep the camera clean, but I think you'll yeah. start to see it. I think you'll, you know, um, it's certainly from a, from an error prevention standpoint, I think it's, it's incredible technology for drilling anything. Um, mm -hmm. and from a safety standpoint, cause we know what happens when you do hit the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. It's, uh, again, I, that, that would be, I don't know what kind of technology would have to go into to be to understanding either a rock characteristics or, you know, poor throat size. I mean, again, that's a whole other topic of conversation, but uh, these are often things that there's large assumptions that go into modeling, even downhole stuff uh, yeah. or with downhole stuff. And especially with drilling and understanding properties and pressures down there, it's a, uh, that's a whole new world. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, not necessarily for folks like yourself, but just in general, I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be neat because the way we drill wells has been very similar for a long time. There's a lot of interesting technology going into the directional space. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, um, again, pivoting a little bit, I, you know, going on your website, it's clear that there's a focus on, you know, construction, mining, oil and gas utilities. But there's a couple more that I found especially interesting in the solutions sections, mm -hmm. uh, which is the EV charging stations and the crypto mining. Uh, can yeah. you share a little bit what you're doing in those two spaces? Yeah, so in EV charging, so it's becoming a commercial venture now. You're not necessarily always able to go and park for three hours to get an hour charge for free. Yeah. So with commercialization, they're generally unmanned. That's the great thing about EV charging is you don't really need anybody standing there. You slide your card, done. You pay for an hour's charge. Problem is people are staying for two hours, three hours while they go shopping. So you have an issue with you're losing money. Um, mm. We can alert you to a car pulls in. You want to be alerted when it's been there for 45 minutes or an hour, whatever it is. Um, you have massive um, vandalism issues with those mm. chargers. Um, cutting the the plug heads off, um, and that's a huge um, issue. And lastly, is um, they have a big blocking problem. So people just parking across there, you know, um, and eliminating their revenue, or or not making it accessible in a condominium where the tenants are paying for these five chargers in their condo fees. 
And wow. it's really around understanding what's happening around these unmanned assets is, gotcha. is you know, sort of where we're at. Um, <clears throat> so that's the sort of the EV space. Crypto mining is interesting. Um, we have a very large client in the crypto space um, and they're using um, unused flare gas. They're using flare gas to, to power their, um, their mines. And we're monitoring both the inside of the containers, um, the flare, as well as the security around them. Um, when you've got three and a half, four million dollars worth of you know supercomputers sitting in a sea can outside a gas well, yeah, um, you know that there's there's a risk that something would happen. Um, and a lot of these actually are located in colder climates. And, you know, last year, I believe it was last year or the winter before last winter, we actually detected that snow was getting in through the vents because they're so hot. Oh, um, yeah. The snow was melting and pooling um, and it was huh. a, a water issue. So there's a lot of things around there um, that we're doing as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've taken our start in the energy world, started in Calgary expanded to Houston, the U.S., and then have taken these analytics that work really well in, in that field, tuned them or created new ones to apply to construction, to apply to, you know, in this case, crypto, uh, which if I had 50 targets on the board that I want us to go after, crypto was not even 50 fifth. <laughs> it was sure. sort of, it's sort of, fell through one of our commercial partners in the US, it sort of came to us and it was like, yeah, well, hell yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Um, and they found out about us because the company that they're using their extra gas is actually a client as well. So it was, uh, it, was a, it was a match made in heaven. So very cool. Yeah, well, that's, uh, you just yeah, you, you have to be open minded enough to see the opportunities when they present themselves. And so um, you know, crypto or not, it's it, there's there's always stuff out there that when you're connect with the right people might spur a, an idea or a thought to say this actually applies to your space as much as I would have never yeah. thought. But hey, let's talk. Um, which uh, it kind of brings me to my last question. I'm 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 curious. I mean, the, it, I see so much potential in something like this, and which was different than just a typical you know security camera or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not even in the same atmosphere. Um, but what is what do you think the future is for Osperity when you're talking to whether it be investors or you know people that you're trying to drum up excitement around? Like, where, where do you see what's the vision? What where do you see this ultimately going? You know, I see I we're already integrating with systems, but I can see as I said, there's sort of that amalgamation coming. Um and I see larger offerings by the bigger companies where they tick a lot of boxes. Uh, and we want to be a part of that in, in whether we're just feeding into it and we're prosperity by ourselves sitting here um, and broadening that industrial scope of what we do. <clears throat> um, and, you know, just like I said, our database of imagery really allows us to quickly um, create something that multiple clients may be looking for. You know, something else that's unique in what we do is we allow the client to create their own algorithms that are specific to their assets or equipment. 
and actually put them back on our platform so we can deliver those results. Mm. Um, so we don't have to necessarily, you know, you have one company with orange valves and a red dot and it has to be here and not there. And nobody else has that. Come on, guys. So, yeah. hey, let us collect, put it out there, collect the data. We'll give you all the data, create your own CV algorithm. And, yeah. and we have clients that do that or they have existing ones um, that cool. they're like, we don't have anywhere to put this. So we have a platform to do that. Yeah, no, that's uh, again, just more offerings and, and adding more value to the, to the client, which is fascinating. I just, you know, I always think of stuff like this is because I'll, while you're collecting data and it's being fed into something to where then it, it alerts someone or, you know, oh, you know, it looks like someone's, like you said, not wearing their hard hat, which that's more of a human element. But I just always envision something like this tying into data, which then triggers something, which then either shuts something off or like I see this kind of eventually like we technology is kind of interesting. You have this technology, which kind of feeds to this. And then the person looks in here and then makes a decision to tell this technology to do something. But eventually if it all kind of ties together and it's because of this, then this happens. And when this happens, then it does this to your, to your well or your site or whatever. Um, I just, I see so much potential and it's just really neat to see. I feel like we're at the front kind of, you know, like I always, you know, when you're, when you're surfing and the waves slowly building and the surfers trying to paddle, I feel like we're in that stage with, with how industrial is really adopting, especially oil and gas is adopting stuff like yeah. this. So I, uh, I'm excited to see you guys continue to grow and I'll be watching on the sidelines from LinkedIn and the rest of it to see all the cool stuff you guys are doing. Um, but, uh, you know, again, this has been a cool conversation. I'm, I'm excited to see where you guys are at and, and really appreciate you coming on. I do have one last question, which is always, I kind of find interesting, more of a selfish yep. uh, question, but, uh, you know, what's something about yourself that, that, you know, maybe not many people know about, I mean, you're busy running a company, you're traveling, I'm sure, you know, maybe you got family, um, but what do you do to disconnect? I mean, what do you love to do when, when you just got some you time, Paul? Um, we do a lot of mountain biking and biking uh, around and about. Um, okay. You know, there's nothing like taking a business trip and and your wife meeting you halfway through and going on a road trip for a week. And nice. We do that quite often. And, you know, kind of people are like, you went to Baton Rouge and you went here. And it's like, yeah, well, too bad you got such a negative attitude. It's an amazing place. Yeah. We had tons of fun. The 110 degrees and 100% humidity sucked, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's really getting out. And, and it's funny because I can actually say this. So, um, between my wife and I, we have five children. Uh, okay. Three, yes, two. Uh, we are actually empty nesters. Um, wow. And Congrats. It was funny because in October, when this occurred, we sort of went, wow, it's so quiet. Wow, it's this. And it's like, now we got to find things to fill our time with. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Even though you have adult children living at home, they always found a way to fill your time. <laughs> now it's like, all right, well, yeah, we're going to go skating. We're going to go do this. You know, it is a lot more um, activity, and I'm sure we're going to find a lot of other things to do too. But we both really enjoy riding. Um, you awesome. know, we go to Canmore and do a lot of riding there. And, and yeah. I'd like to say we do a lot of riding around our house, but. Uh, we don't because we live at the top of the hill and it's only downhill. It's only uphill getting home. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we are yeah. those drive flatter areas and go for a ride. But you know that's yeah. it. No, we love our yard. Um, Good. Just come back 
And you know, we're kind of getting to that weather time where we can start to spend a little more time outside comfortably. So awesome. Well, if you if you ever get bored, Paul, just let me know. I'll send you up my seven and four year old. They'll keep you cope keep you busy, man. You know what? We have we have friends with young children, and sometimes it's like, oh, is that her car? Yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna go to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you, love, man. Love kids and but uh oh yeah, no. it just it's crazy. Well, but it sounds like fun ages. Oh yeah, no, it's I wouldn't trade it for the world. I you know, coach my daughter softball. And, to 15. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's I think we got a few years yet, but uh I you know, it's you embrace all of it, right? So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right on. Well, hey, look, I'm uh you know, what's so for people if that are interested or want to learn more. I've got the link in the show notes to your guys' website, your LinkedIn profile, um, the LinkedIn profile for the for Osperity. Are there any other platforms that you guys play on that if people are interested to learn more that they can jump onto, or, or is that mainly it? That really LinkedIn and and uh, obviously our website, Osperity.com. Um, Perfect. As you mentioned, there's there's plenty of tools there. There's plenty of use cases. Um, and lastly, it's, you know, tell us your problems. Let us know if we're going to be the first ones to tell you if we can't do it. Yeah, no, um, I think that's great. It's, it's some of the best solutions, again, don't come from you guessing. It's people coming to you with, hey, here's what I need. And then you just figuring it out. So, yeah, uh, no, it's uh, it's been exciting. Again, Paul, really appreciate it. And last but not least, I'd like to quickly close out by sharing some information about a new partnership we've landed with the Oil Patch. They're your daily energy news fix in five minutes or less. Think Hustle or Morning Brew for energy. So please do them a favor and subscribe using the link uh, in the show notes or go to theoilpatch.co. Thanks again for listening, everyone out there. If you could leave a review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family or whoever else uh, you find you, you think might find this valuable. And always remember that everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. And look, if you or your organization wants to start a podcast, please visit my website and sign up for a free guide on how to start a successful podcast. Once you get through it, let me know if you have any questions or getting started. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Peace.